I feel like I've been waiting in an airport to get on a fucking plane to Hawaii. All right, guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Podcast. I am your host, Dennis Benito, founder of Street Cop Training. I'm here with Jenna Rose Romano, moving her notes around the paper, here to talk about the next, I guess, what would you call this? Episode? I don't know. Next series of mental health in law enforcement, something that's really not talked about enough. And we're going to try to give as much practical value to everybody as we possibly can hear from this podcast studio. So it's a universal application so everybody can find some value. If you're looking for additional help, you can email. What is your email? Is it Jenna, Jenna Rose? Rose at streetcop.com. Okay. So, and she will help you find resources that you need for uh, to treat whatever issue or trauma you may be dealing with at the moment. Don't feel like you're by yourself or have nobody to turn to. We're really trying to open this up and part of resolving a lot of police related issues is not just training but it's now creating a platform where we can have an open discussion and start training agencies to understand mental health and its importance in law enforcement interestingly enough we have a lot of people who are now reaching out to us for support and help so there's a lot of you guys out there don't feel like you're alone you can reach out to her in confidentiality and she will provide you what she can and we are working on a program in order for everybody at every state to be able to have a resource to reach out to that's reliable for law enforcement. We're doing the best that we can. And the best that we can right now is that and this. So I want to say thank you to Jen for being here today. Hi, Jen. Hey, man. Is it okay if I abbrevi- do people abbreviate your name and say Jen? Some people. Is that like people in your life that are important or just me? Everyone. Okay. A lot of people. All right. It's a mix. Okay. Today do you. Do you play it? All right, we're going to do burnout and stress today. All right, man. How do you want to start? So um, I wanted to go through, we're going through my training to kind of take a look at it and what some of the components entail. So I was just going to kind of like filter through some of my PowerPoint, see what you, uh, what you thought of them. So if you guys didn't know, Jenna is also a street cop instructor. We're finalizing her product that's going to go out and I don't think we've come up with a name yet, have we? No. I mean, so I, I talk about like... I say that it's no bu- no bullshit mental fitness for law enforcement. Um, it could be stress and burnout prevention. I don't know. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. What do we call I, this no, thing? I, I, like, you know? I like the no bullshit thing because then we can just put the like asterisk and the exclamation, exclamation point. Yeah. But it's a really good way to address it. Yeah. It's a real mar- it's a real smart marketing move. I mean, it's it's real though. That's it's my like, forte. I and mean, I'm a marketer. Yeah. I'm sure. Oh, okay. Look around. Right. Besides the plaques hanging on the wall from years of profound police work and the two girls over there behind the camera. So fucking awesome. Thank you. You're the fucking man. (laughs) Tell me again. You are the fucking man, Dennis. So let's go into it. Let's go into burnout and stress. All right. All right. Um, Okay. So, yeah. So a lot of it, like I said, no bullshit. It's very uh, applicable. Um, None of that textbook bullshit, boring stuff it's uh real life it's and it's real applicable to scenarios lifestyle um that kind of thing for law enforcement because it's you guys are very you have specific needs like we've talked about that before Mm -hmm. so um having somebody come in who has you know 
knowledge of stress, knowledge of trauma, if you don't understand law enforcement culture um, or first responder culture, you're going to fail to reach and build a rapport with that um, population. So I think that that's first and foremost, understanding and then taking that content and that information and filtering it through to day to day um, self-improvements. That makes sense. Do do, Uh, are we we separating burnout? And stress, or is it one in the same? No, we're separating. So let's go into burnout first then. Tell let's, me, how does go. burnout manifest? And how, what's the signs of burnout? Yep. So burnout, wow, burnout. Burnout manifests over time. So, and, and stress is something that can be very acute and incident based. So burnout is um, an accumulation of stress, of um, fatigue, uh, um, and that over time can uh, change the way that you view yourself, your world, uh, your relationships, your career. Um, and it goes from that, you know, that and that and this is something that we start off the training with, like talking about some of the people that come in, some of the profiles that you see coming into law enforcement and how they come in strongly motivated. And then after and over time and having some of the day to day stressors kind of bring them down what that burnout looks like for them. So, um, I mean, and it, it looks very different for every different individual, but essentially your compassion fatigue outweighs your compassion satisfaction, your career satisfaction. What are some of the common causes of burnout? I guess let's try to explore the entire spectrum of where that comes from. Specific to law enforcement? enforcement. Okay. And and in general, um, not only that, but what are some of the things we can do with those factors that we may not have control over in the burnout spectrum? Yeah. And maybe some coping mechanisms with that. And I, and I go right to police administration. Uh, that's where I'm really going to fit first. Like, how do you if, if you if you're not leaving and you've got this issue with these police administrators who are, uh, for the lack of a better term, and try to broadly encompass all of this misbehaving yeah. as quote unquote leaders, which is very, very common. We have complete misbehavior of human beings towards others in a position of authority in a law enforcement field that is very difficult to begin with. Mm -hmm. So coping with some of that, uh, maybe I'm saying that because of some of relatable things that I've been through. Maybe that's where I go right to right away because that's the only thing that really created a lot of stress for me. I don't think the job itself ever created stress for me that's me particularly right let's go into that yeah so it's funny you say that because i think that part of the you know part of the idea is that people come into the profession and they're looking at all of their micro interactions on the streets and they're thinking about almost like romanticizing like what their job's going to look like we see movies that make it look really really fun really really heroic and when people come in that's all that they're thinking about but they're not thinking about the organizational stress and the politics that are behind it and how that will greatly influence how you do your job, how you're told to do your job, the support that you have for doing your job. Um, And that, I think, in addition to those micro stressors, really um it's it's like a compiled it's like compiled from like like multi-layered you know so yeah i think that organizational stress has a lot to do with it um employee health and wellness has a lot to do with it and really um building an arsenal to kind of 
combat some of that stress. What are some tools that you could offer even now as I guess we're, we're surface level what we're talking about, yeah. but what are some of those things that you could do to try to combat that stress? Lifestyle balance, number one. So I think again, and, and we've talked about this before, but like, you know, how many cops carry off duty and, and rightfully so I'm not telling you that it's a wrong thing to do, but when you're carrying off duty, you're still carrying the identity. And I think that, and that is totally normal because it's, it becomes inbred like within you. Right. So, um, being able to find balance, being able to find downtime, being able to identify as more than being a police officer um, and more than your your half, output as a police officer. Half too. the guys that listen to this are going to have to just burn half their clothes. Yeah, right. Half their blue line Punisher yeah, yeah, shirts. For real. Like still buy the street cop ones, though. We have a lot of stuff coming out with you. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I think that that has a lot to do with it. I mean, even when it comes down to like retirement time, how many people stay longer than they should be here when they're completely disgruntled and burnt out simply because they don't know where they fit into society as a, as a civilian? So just being a civilian sometimes and not being a cop. And that's really difficult to do um, when five, six, seven days a week, you put on the badge and it's in, it's ingrained in you in a daily routine. I think that, that makes it a little bit difficult. Like we've talked before about the differences about um, between military trauma and police trauma. And I think that that has a lot to do with being able to, you know, stress inoculation, being prepared um, for a deployment, shifting of your mindset when you're on deployment versus coming home. Um, as a military personnel, and I'm not saying that it's less or more stressful. I'm just comparatively speaking, you know, because a lot of people do compare um, the trauma and the stress and the burnout. But as a first responder, being able to have lifestyle balance and being able to have identity outside of your profession. And because if you're if your identity is only within the four walls, so to speak, as a cop, um, what happens when your identity is challenged through the media, um, through your behaviors, through your leadership, um, through the way that your community interacts with you? Um, a lot of that fulfillment is going to be diminished and that's going to, you know, make you not feel so great again and contributing to burnout making you look at your job like, hey, man, is this shit even worth it? Do I really contribute to, you know, creating a positive environment for my community? Am I making things better? What's the point? The community doesn't support me. You know, people are following you around with cameras. Fuck the police. It's like when you don't feel that support, but you came in thriving on that support, it makes things hard, you know? I'm going to dive a little deeper here into some practices that could push somebody to have more identity than just being a police officer. And I wrote some notes here that said, like, do you suggest hobbies, yeah. different friends, non-cop friends, more family time, exploring what else you like to do? Mm -hmm. I, I get that some people are, I'll hear this all the time. I hate my job. I want to leave, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, and I've told some people who I know they're in some real tough spots. So I just had a conversation with a guy two days ago. He's in a tough spot and he's committed to departing from law enforcement after 13 years. 
he's not somebody that's seeing things differently. He's in a spot where he's like, I'm, I'm done mm -hmm. and I want to disengage and it's administrative issues. Always. Um, so he's being hung out to dry. He doesn't know what to do. And I said, well, maybe that's it, but you've got to start exploring now what you want to do. Here's what I hear from people all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't have a college degree. What am I supposed to do? Get out of here, man. I know, that's it's crazy. Thing. Well, people, do you feel people find like, solace is the right word, but comfort in their own excuses? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. You're telling yourself a story. Yeah, right? You're telling yourself a story to make yourself feel better about your lack or apprehension or anxiety towards making a change in life. People don't like change. Right. I mean, there are simple explanations for how to resolve a lot of these issues in your life. There, outside of New Jersey, there's a lot of states where it's not uncommon for police officers to be able to move from agency to agency. If a friend of mine who works in Florida, I think in 10 or 12 years, he's worked at like three or four different agencies and it's normal. They're, Fine, they're, that's good. So for whatever reasons he's doing it, but as he goes along, he's finding the pros and cons and trying to find the best pros for him. But there are people who literally will work at the lowest paid, horrible to their guys, agency, like this mentality of I'm not leaving because I'm comfortable, Yeah, but I'm still getting beat to death when I come to work every day. What, like what a relationship all? though, right? I, I mean, we do that in relationships too. It's like, even when you know that like it's done, you just have, you have so much invested emotionally and your identity, I think, again, coming back to, you know, lifestyle balance, but um, yeah. And, and I think that a lot of it has to do with self-esteem too. I mean, really, like if you don't, this, it's a really comfortable job, right? Like pension, overtime, like you're, you know when you're getting your next raise. So, and you know, leaving that and, and moving somewhere else can be really, really intimidating for people, I think. And a lot of people, I mean, how many cops do you know? It, it, this is always, right? Halfway through the career and they're either climbing the ladder and taking their promotional exams or they're starting businesses, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's like one or the other. Mm -hmm. So um, figuring out what your strengths are and what your skills are and uh, knowing, like always thinking in the back of your head, hey, like if this doesn't work out, like if this didn't work out, if, it, if there were some possibility that tomorrow I wasn't able to um, be a police officer anymore, what would I do? Is I, it? I think there's a saying, and I've said it, I think between you and I before on this podcast, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single footstep. Mm hmm there are resources that are available now that weren't available 20, 25 years ago, and that's the internet. Mm -hmm. Literally jumping on YouTube could be a great way to start of like, what do I like to do? Just begin perusing around. This conversation I had with this gentleman the other night was, he's like, I don't know what I'm good at. I'm like, have you even started to look? He's like, I'm dabbling. I'm like, that means you haven't touched yeah. anything. So you've got to, and I responded to him with, I'm not the most empathetic person for you to be talking to, but I'm here to be your friend and shoot you straight and tell you the truth. And a lot of people, like the fact that I'm a straight shooter a lot. Uh, I'm not a therapist. I'm not qualified to give good advice on that. I've learned that recently that it's probably better left to other people when somebody's dealing with something very emotionally. Right. But I said, you have to recognize that you're, and I think I've said this before on this podcast, you have to imagine you're laying on a raft in the middle of the ocean, but there's no rescue boat coming. You've got some decisions to make. You could either lay there and die or slide half your body off of this thing and start kicking and start trying to find some land. Right. Because eventually, over the horizon, you're going to start seeing some land. And that land is going to be a place that you're going to find. You ever hear the theory of the river, river of fear? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I I don't know where I heard it. When I heard it, I mean, it struck a chord with me so hard. I actually want to get, if people really knew how to give me gifts, because apparently I'm a hard person to buy gifts for, because <laughs> this is what I've been told. But I'm not. It's just that you got to put more thought into what I like. Listen to what I'm saying. I would want a painting that I would hang on the wall here and hopefully my wife's listening. Everybody listening? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, but Christmas is coming. The River of Fear is this poetic, um, I don't know what you would call it because I'm not good with English terms. So essentially what it is, is you're standing on the bank of the River of Fear and you cannot see across this river. You don't know how wide it is and it's gray and it's gloomy and it's terrifying you. And some dare to jump in and start swimming across. So when they come across on the other side is paradise. Mm -hmm. And the river was not as wide as you thought it was. Maybe you prepared, took something with you. But once you get past that cloudy murky, it starts to get very, uh, the sun is bright. And you climb onto this bank of paradise and beauty. And had you stood on that other side of the river, you would have never seen this. Yeah. So it's a real, real sharp thing that struck a chord with me. Because what I've learned is the things that I fear the most are the things that have yielded the greatest results in my life. Mm-hmm. And using fear as a North Star is a really, really important you know, uh, thing that I follow in my life. Everybody that I've talked to who has given me feedback from the advice that I've given them said, I was scared, I took the jump, it was the best move that I ever made. Right. The only time I hear people regretting changing police departments is when they went for money and no other reason. So what they'll mm-hmm. do is they're at a good agency, and the next agency makes $4 an hour more, $11 an hour more, and they'll go there. And they're trying to get back to the old agency because what they found was the money, the variable of money, wasn't the answer. What I have found is when police officers have done their homework and found a place where people seem to be overall happy working there mm-hmm. with good administrative support, good, good society support, good public support, good community support, they have taken pay cuts and said it was worth every every penny. Yeah. I will do this exercise in class. Say who in here has transferred agencies, taken less money, but is 10 times happier. And you you can't, I can't express the delight on people's faces when they say, I was one of those people. They're relieved. They're saved. I've actually had police administrators who say, you think it's responsible for you to tell people to leave police departments? And my response back was, if people are leaving your agency, do you think it's responsible to even ask me that? Yeah. You should be asking yourself. Why cannot? Why can't we retain anybody? You can tell yourself lies all you want. You can tell yourself a story, but we had a guy came to a class, and I think this guy has since been removed. I'm not going to say the agency. He was a deputy chief, so I do a class at the Monmouth County Police Academy, and I think eight from the agency was there. And I see this guy walk in with this mug on. You know what he looked like? He looked like you ever see a Jeff Dunham with the puppets, the the puppeteer. The, okay. Yeah. The mean face one, the old man. That's what he looked like. So he comes in angry. And I'm reading the room. That's what I do. I want to see who got sent here, doesn't want to be here, who paid to be here, who's like hanging on to every word that I'm saying. I'm trying to understand where I'm at. And I don't ever focus energy on the people that I'm trying to win over. Naturally, that just happens as progression goes through the class. I've had people show up with mean mugs. I'm in Georgia. They got mean faces on because I'm cursing. Probably they don't talk like they that down there, like right? Me. Well, they would eventually because they're going to show you the value. That you're going to show them the value that delivered. So, this guy. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Just kidding. Well, I ask everybody in class, I go, who works at an agency where you're supported and appreciated by your administration and encourages you to be proactive? And some people raise their hands, and his six to eight people that came did not raise their hands. I'm not lying to you. The gentleman stood up, 
with a mean fucking face on and stormed out of the room. And I thought in my head, I saw his badge. I kind of look at badges sometimes. It looked like he was somebody important. Yeah. I went, well, I guess they're not coming anymore. I don't know what upset him about that. Yeah, something triggered him. But I think about this and I say, um, how are you as a leader when your organization is giving you feedback that something's not right? We're unhappy and you find it personally offensive and walk the fuck out when you've been a piece of shit and been selfish the whole time. If that was, if I was that organizational leader, I go, whoa, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. Whoa, what are we doing wrong? What are, what are we doing wrong? Holy shit. You guys all feel this way about me? I, I'm sorry, but no. We act That's like, even if they have the insight to know. I mean, because some people have blinders on, yeah, you know? He, he got the insight. But you have to have that open mind to say, I'm willing to listen to the candor for the better of everybody. Absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. So you got this, now you got this 55, 60 year old man who stomped out of this place like a fucking four year old who, who spilt his milk. It's crazy. This is the behavior of a second in command of a sizable police agency here in the state of New Jersey. It's, he, you know, I, I don't think he's with them anymore. So that's why I say it, but. The behavior is atrocious. And I'm like, I mean, can you imagine working for this fucking guy? Mm-hmm. Acting like a child. You can't even talk with your police leader on a man-to-man, woman-to-man, adult conversation. These are fucking giant children running law enforcement agencies. Right. But you know what that's like based out of? So there's like, so there's an activity that I do. It's called the Jahari window. The guy's a therapist. And basically the there's four panes in the window. And it's all about... Um, self uh self-discovery through insight right like the things that we know about ourselves so like in one pain it's the things that people know about us that we don't realize about ourselves and the only way to open that pain and to become more aware of people's perception of us is to be open and to listen to it right and one of the biggest barriers to that is defensiveness um, and maybe you're defensive because you are highly criticized your whole life as a kid mm-hmm. right i mean because so we could dig like as deep as you want. That's to, where I was going. Next. Right. You know what I mean? So we could dig as deep as you wanted to. But essentially what stops you from growing is that is either being defensive or isolating yourself to having some of that insight. Like I love to know how people perceive me. And I ask for that feedback all yes, the time. Like, even, fucker, even as a therapist, though, like I check in with my clients, like, how are we doing? Like, how how are we feeling? Like, how am I how am I doing? What can I do differently? I need to have that feedback. And I'd rather have somebody give me that feedback than stop showing up. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, the moment that you're able to give me that feedback, not only are you advocating for you and like the things that you need, but you're also giving me the opportunity to adjust how, like, what your needs are and if I'm fulfilling them, if I'm not fulfilling them, things that would work better for you. So it's a really great process. But I mean, so part of the Johari window is opening that pain and understanding what people know about you. So, I mean, it could be a mannerism that's really, really annoying. Like people could contact me and be like, you know what? You curse too much. You use your hands too much. You say, you know what I mean too much? know what I mean? Uh So um, it could be like any. So does that make sense? Yeah. Right. So it could be, you know, even like my husband busts my balls because he's like, you finish every sentence with saying, you know, and I'm like, I never thought about that. So like, I'll say it and he'll look at me and be like, you know, and I'm like, but I think that's a nice thing about people's characteristic traits when they have something like that. That's interesting. My wife uh, used to do something when she would find something very funny and I brought it to her attention once and I regret it because I never got to see it again because she changed her. <laughs> right. It was a wonderful thing. I had right. a teacher in high school who said to me, 
I heard you do a very good impression of me. And I said, I do a very good impression of you. Because uh. I'd like to see it. I go, I don't want to show it to you because I don't want you to change. It's the best thing about right. you. The, and he's like, but I have to see it. He's dead now. He's a great guy. That's funny. Uh, but I, I felt, because when I t showed it to him, he stopped doing it. Well, but some people who can take that constructive criticism, feedback, whatever you want to call it, depends on the content of what you're saying, right? And do something with it and and make that productive. Like I'm a productive based person. So yeah, so anyway, so, and you know, and there are different pains, the closed pain, the things that um, you know about yourself that other people don't know about you. So those are secrets, insecurities, things that you don't share with people, but they could be things that are hurting you if you're not sharing them with the right people or things that are hurting you because you're sharing them with the wrong people, right? So right. It's, it's like a really fun activity to do and there's more. Elaborate just on the wrong people. Versus yeah. the right people. Let's go right into that. Yeah. Boundaries. Having boundaries um, versus having secrets. So um, sometimes advice from your friends or, or family, although maybe intentionally correct, could yeah. be very wrong. Is that right. what you're saying? Absolutely. You're asking the wrong people for the wrong advice. Well, and I always say if you want feedback, ask for it. And if you have unsolicited advice from people, let them know that you appreciate it, but that you'll ask for advice when you need it. Right. So it's like. Um, you know, when I had my kids, whoo, everybody and their mother offered me their opinion. And I had to learn because it was like driving me mentally insane. And it was making me second guess myself. I was anxious about it anyway. So I had to learn like, you know, hey, appreciate what you have to say. If I need advice, I'm going to ask for it, though. Otherwise, please don't offer it. Basic, like assertive statement that set the boundary for people. Yeah. And you know what? You will find yourself, you know. Uh, I'm going to, I got to come back around to something else, but like mm -hmm. my wife will often sometimes poke fun at me. She's like, oh, who said that? And she'll reference somebody that I admire. Mm -hmm. And I'll say to her, you know, it's taken my whole life to find somebody that I think that has the right answers for me. Maybe in a business sense or a life sense. When I'm hearing these stoic people regarding or people who are philosophical thinkers, right? These philanthropists who I think are just really bright, just really genius. Yeah, I'm going to follow suit with them but be careful who you're looking up to because sometimes it takes a while to figure out who you're looking up to. And I think 100%. about police departments. You can, get exactly. very, you can get very attracted to somebody, I mean, in a, in a sexual manner, but personality-wise, based on maybe their reputation. Mm -hmm. And you're going to find yourself as a crony of that person, not realizing that person is really a black cloud in the organization. 100%. And you come in, when you come in, you're very impressionable. It's kind of like being a kid, right? Kids are like sponges. So oh, think right. of it like you're a kid yeah. to the organization. You're a young toddler, right? So you're going to be a sponge and you're going to absorb everything that's around you. So you're going to come in highly energetic and you're going to learn how to create norms and what those norms look like in your agency. Identifying what is a healthy norm versus what is an unhealthy norm is the first step. And do not be afraid to separate yourself from unhealthy yes. norms and be able to walk the the you know the past the path less traveled if you need to like I don't mean to sound corny but we conform we're social beings we conform as uh you know organizational psychology 101 like we we conform to the strongest influence and sometimes the strongest influence is a leader like an if, alpha if they're an if they're an awesome leader right so some of these organizations have amazing morale because their leader is also their influencer. Mm -hmm. Then you may have some organizations who have um, 
a less of a healthy leader and they're a little bit more disgruntled, maybe they find um, some of their norms in the influencers that are um, a less uh, formal, if you will. So like some of these people, and, and I can like differentiate the gems. It's pretty funny. So like people will contact me and they'll be like the uh, peer support individuals who kind of like the this the individuals who, who want those titles, who are not voluntold to have those titles. Mm-hmm. So um, they'll come to me and it'll be like, okay, I have this idea for my organization. They're innovators, right? Like I want to do what's best for, I want to leave a legacy. I want, you know, here are the things that I want to see changed in the organization. And I love them because I'm like, you are, you're a leader. And like, even on my website, it it's like when I have a leadership development as something that I offer, people think that that's only a supervisor. Right. Like, nah, bro, you are a leader. Like if you are wanting to do well, you're wanting to do better for your, for your agency. If you see changes that you can make and you can leave behind and say like, hey, so-and-so did this, they started this. And as a result of that, you know, some people are not going to gravitate towards it. That's fine. We have different personalities. Um, but there are some people who, even if it's, you know, one out of 25 that you're going to reach, I mean, that's, you got to be okay with reaching that one out of 25. You're never going to reach 25 out of 25. Right. So offering different things to reach different people or offering something specific that you have to give and knowing that it's a niche and you're going to just have certain people that you're going to support and that other people aren't going to gravitate towards you. That's fine. We, it's funny you say being a leader without having the emblem on your shoulder or your collar. Mm -hmm. There's no question about that. As I look back on some of my uh, people who I worked with, whether they have uh, angst towards street cop training or me or for for other reasons, but there's no question about it. If you looked at, I didn't forget somebody coming to me and said, Hey, this girl that I work with, she was community affairs. She goes, can you get some people to walk in the St. Paddy's Day Parade? And I said, <laughs> well, what do you I go, What do you mean? Why don't you just ask everybody? She goes, no, but like, you know, like- They'll listen to you. These guys will follow you here. So right. if you say it, they'll do it. We're right. trying to say it, they don't want to listen. Yeah. I go, what's the incentive though? You know what I mean? Like, like or how could you ask for something in return when there's nothing offered? Yeah. So in my thought, I'm like, buy them lunch. At least say like, let's make it a thing then. But yeah, she came to me and said, you know, these guys like really like a lot of these guys follow you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, although on the list and going to be moving up at some junction, I wasn't there yet. That is actually something I had to struggle with starting this company because a lot of people perceive me as, oh, he's not a sergeant. He doesn't know. He was never a chief for him to criticize. Folks, you know, and I don't say this in defense mode. What I'm saying is here I am running an organization and call it what you what you want. If it's not the largest police training company in the country, it is. And Jen, you've been here a few times. Have you ever met a staff that's more happy and and engaged and friendly with each other and feeling like a family thing? Right. I, I take the principles, although the system was not designed to have somebody like me progress. It's built on nepotism. It's built on a written test. Yeah. It's not built on the core principles or core qualities of what you're looking for in a good leader. Right. I could have been that person. Don't forget, I started my career very young. But here I am, and here's the example. And I don't have to explain this anymore. Me, the proof is in the pudding. People now trust it. But um, for a while, I struggled with that. People didn't want to listen to Officer Benino. Mm-hmm. They wanted to listen to a Sergeant Benino right. or a Lieutenant Benino because that's the mentality. And I've talked about these guys and girls who have been literally demoted, re-promoted, got 
promoted. They're the worst cop, but got promoted because their cousin's the mayor. I mean, just crazy stuff mm-hmm. that we put these labels on folks and say, okay, they're worth it because of what's on their shoulder. And it's very interesting for you to bring up that it may not be on their shoulder or their collar or in the title, but they could be leaders. You could be a leader in your organization. The problem with some of that is, is when you become a leader and you don't have those things on your shoulder, the ones who do, they start getting very, very uh, uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're talking to one of them. Yeah. You know, we had some people who were very comfortable with it, but some of them weren't. They did not like the idea that I had more to offer, but they were, they were, but nobody's coming to them. Because it's, it's, it's a power thing. Sure. Right. So it's like, okay. And this comes back to leadership development 101, having influence over people, demanding, you know, earning, earning respect and not demanding it essentially. Like really, that was like one of my quotes since I'm like 15 years old that I like live by. But um, I said to uh, somebody here, I said, uh, I train my staff here, especially my executive staff. I said to somebody recently, I said, you can be their leader without being their boss. Right. Absolutely. Um, so when I was developing the leadership portion of my training, um, I I consulted with a couple of um, friends of mine that were uh, West Point graduates who went on to do a lot of really amazing work. And one of the things that they mentioned to me is, was the difference between legal authority versus personal influence. Mm-hmm. And that comes back to transformational leadership. So, um, you know, one of them said to me, I had legal authority over anyone. I mean, I could throw them in, in jail at any given point in time. And they all knew that. But I, I didn't use that power. And I didn't assert that power. And I didn't need to even go there with them because the personal influence that I had over them, over genuinely caring about their well-being, listening to some of the feedback that they wanted to provide and really creating a sense of family with them um, was a stronger influence than any. Because again, coming back to it, we are social animals. That's really what we are. So we conform because everything is uh, based upon Um, identification, like where we identify. And part of how we identify is how we identify within our group, within our little groups. Um, And how our groups perceive us has a lot to do with how we perceive ourselves. That's where we develop a lot of our self-esteem. You know, a kid who is raised in an environment and they're told that they're not worth shit, like, you know, emotionally abused, like, is just as powerful, if not more powerful than being physically abused. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as long as you keep telling somebody what they are, what they are, what they are, what they're not, what they're not, what they're not, people start to believe that because we- Do you think some people take take the adversity and kind of make it fuel to- Absolutely. To push back. I mean, I think that that has a lot to do with the resilience factors, right? So like things that are built within you to say, like, I'm going to challenge that. There could be something- something other than that, or maybe this is influenced based upon like who you are as a human and being able to step back and be like, you know what? You're just an insecure motherfucker. I'm going to keep going on my way. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, obviously a kid doesn't have that capacity, which is why they're so impressionable, just like the officers who are just coming in, right? They're trying to find their place. So people are going to really hold on to some of the things that we tell them that they're able to do and that they're not able to do. And that's also, that has a lot to do with leadership as well. So when you are constantly, you know, have that transactional old school leadership of, I'm going to tell you what to do. The meta communication behind that is I'm going to tell you what to do because you're not capable of making your own decision. So I'm going to step in and I'm going to guide you through that. Right. And 
doing that, you're going to have two responses. Think of a kid, right? It's like parenting. Again, I'm drawing parallels. So when you do that to a kid, don't jump off the couch. You're going to get hurt. Don't jump off the couch. You're going to get hurt. What is the kid going to do? Either number one, they're going to jump off that fucking couch when you're not looking like, fuck you, man, mom, dad, look, I can jump off the couch. Mm -hmm. I'm superhuman. Or what are they going to do? That couch is a scary fucking place, Mm -hmm. man. Don't jump off that couch. If I go near that couch, I'm going to get hurt. Right. I'm the kind of dad that encourages him to jump off the couch. Yeah, me too. Does that make sense? Yeah, me too. Uh, I did it. Right. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, No, me too. And and I mean, I think that that has a lot to do with development again. And that's and this is leadership, too. So, like, I I was a child and an adolescent therapist for a long time. So, again, like I'm drawing parallels. But I think that that's also easier because if you're looking at it based upon parenting, like a lot of people who are parents be like, well, that makes sense. Well, why don't you do that at work? Right. I mean, hey, there's a lot more at stake at work. I mean, there are a lot, you know, we're making really critical decisions. I'm not mitigating that at all. But what I'm saying is that when you're constantly telling people what to do and you're showing instead of instead of saying to them, you know what, you're not competent in this area. So instead, we're going to, number one, focus on what your strengths are. And we're also going to go, we're going to create goals for some of your weaknesses. Let's build you up so that one day you can make some of those decisions. And we're going to build that skill set for you. Because a lot of people are not going to act, and especially in, I mean, you know, in this profession, they will not act if they do not feel competent. You have to feel competent and you have to feel like you have the skill set to make certain decisions. Otherwise, you're going to look to other people to influence you. Would you? I just went on a tangent. No, that's fine. Uh, I got a few notes here that I want to go back to. This just was sparked after the last comment you made. Mm -hmm. I think it's real important for people to know that you can be a leader and begin to, I guess, beat your own path. Yep. Without being an asshole. So there's a delicate balance to that. You can professionally decide to just do things your way. And as long as they're at least the appropriate or a better version of it, I think people begin to respect that. So we'll talk about that with proactivity in my class. Uh, there was a lot of pushback and, and things on the, on the way that I was doing things. And I, I, my friend Vinny, who recently retired, said, you know, you came here and you rubbed everybody the wrong way because you were doing it the right way. And nobody ever did it the right way. Because, But eventually you showed everybody. He goes, and then... You just always did it the way it was supposed to be done. Not the way we thought it was supposed to be done. You were actually doing it the right way. Well, uh, people don't like change. That comes back to sure. the, uncer- the uncertainty that creates fear that you were just talking about earlier with the river of fear. Change is the best thing for me ever. But people are afraid of change because there's uncertainty. There's different paths and we don't know which path we're going to go down. And there's fear that's behind that. And that's the difference between a fear mindset and a growth mindset. And that's like one of the things (laughs) I keep coming back to like the training. Right. But here's all your sneak peeks. Yeah. Because that's one thing that we talk about. We talk about having a fear mindset. What if what if being having that pretending that we have that crystal ball in front of us. And I go like this, First I go, first place that we go is if, failure. Right, Some, one's these what right. if, and the other one's what if. Right, what, what, what if not, right? I, I, yeah. Right, I, like what, yeah. so I mean, that's me. Again, like I don't mean to be corny, but like people allow fear to drive them. Sure, dictate in, their life. Absolutely. And I think that that coming back to like where we started, see guys we're taking notes so we're coming back to where we started all right mm-hmm. um but coming back to where we started i think that that cre- that's part of why people are completely burnt out they know that their needs are not being met they're chronically learning to live with their needs not being met and that 
creates burnout, but there's a fear of the uncertainty of the way that things can go um, if they make a change. And look, there's a, there's a lot behind that. I mean, people have families, finances. It's not just like, hey, man, I wish I could make this decision, but I got four kids. Mm-hmm. I have like four kids that I'm going to have to put through college, four mouths to feed. I have a, a mortgage. I don't want to be out on the streets. So I'm not, again, like minimizing that at all. But taking a look down, you know, are you doing everything that you are meant to do? Are mm-hmm. you, are you, because like you were just saying before, um, people who would take a pay cut to have better admin, right? Um, we are, we want to be our existential part of us wants to leave this world being fulfilled. That's like something that we all focus on and being happy. Um, so are you living a life when you die that you're be, that you would be happy about leaving behind or you, you don't have that much time. Are you happy li- while you're living? Mm-hmm. Like, are you just meant to be, you know, suffocated like at all? I'm going to go back a little bit to something I just kind of came up with, but kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. My brothers have found the right words to appropriately describe it. I think when we talk about burnout and some of the coping mechanisms of it, and you could tell me if I'm right or wrong on this because you're the psychotherapist. I'm the guy who just runs the company. Um, one thing that's helped me is to try to deploy a scope of empathy mm-hmm. or maybe glasses of empathy mm-hmm. when I'm dealing with somebody who may be misbehaving. So what I mean by that is I'm trying to reverse engineer and understand what what may be going on with somebody that's causing them to act out or behave. And I think it really is an important thing for people to understand. So let's say you have that administrator who is misbehaving. It takes, it's very simple to get mad and cast judgment. Mm-hmm. It's it's much more intelligent and mature to say, I wonder why he or she acts that way. I wonder what's going on in their life. I wonder why. Maybe deploying some kindness to try to understand that. Because I think when you are able to uh, try to understand why they're acting that way, they're going to feel that and maybe become less confrontational towards you or maybe start improving themselves yeah. when there's when you're opening up communication with empathy. But I think that that's also you and I are naturally like more analytical, mm-hmm. I think, um, and more innovative. Like We like to think outside the box. So... Um, I think that some people naturally would have would doesn't come naturally to them. They can learn it and they can develop that. Yeah. But being open Me to too. that. Right. So like looking behind the behavior. So taking a behavior instead of reacting to the behavior, kind of questioning where the motive for that behavior comes from, I think. And again, I'm coming back to parenting, right? Like if your kid is misbehaving, you're going to constantly react punitively, just like in this profession. Um, And if you reacted with a little bit more compassion, um, empathy, compassion and and empathy and understanding like, hey, man, my kid's acting like this because they're just frigging exhausted Mm -hmm. and they haven't been fed or something. Right. Like, okay, I would be acting like that, too. just like if you're looking at your leader or your subordinate the same way, like, hey, man, this guy's on the like brink of a divorce. He's is losing his house. X, Y and Z just happened to him. Not to say that you're you're going to excuse the behavior, but maybe I mean, and again, being a, tra- a transformational leader uh, versus transactional, caring enough to know why 
um, and to build the rapport to um, be more of, you know, really just being compassionate and wanting to know, hey, man, are you okay? Like, fuck the behavior, like whatever that was, you know, like and depending on how serious it is. Right. Obviously. Um, But being able to look beyond it and say, like, you're right. You need a little extra help. Like, when do we draw the line between I know that you're not doing okay and it's going to affect your job and maybe it's a liability? And are we going to have those informal conversations and build those skills to have those informal conversations before they become really a lot bigger issues. And I think that, again, coming back to that is being proactive versus being reactive. You know, do you think that hearing this is. And you could listen to this and if you're somebody who's open to the change, it's going to make a lot of sense. You might be having revelations at this moment going. Christ, I'm that person. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, I didn't know I was doing this. Let's say we force-fed this course. A police chief likes you, says we want to hire you, come in here, I'm going to talk to 50 of our guys and girls. Mm-hmm. Do you think some people take this stuff in ear and out the other, mm-hmm. uh, in one ear out the other? You know, what is it going to take to try to reach out and proactively get these people to be aware or understand that there is something else going on, there is help out there, and you're hurting other people. Like, I, I think about this lieutenant that we had, and not a bad human being, but a fucking nightmare as a, as a horrendous leader, could never call it. He had horrible skills. It was just a fucking pain in the ass nonstop. You know, mm-hmm. he's just still making people's lives terrible. The guy won't leave. Mm-hmm. Um, not a bad guy, though. Like, never put anything, and, and that's the only reason he got away with his behaviors because he never put anything on paper and tried to jam anybody up. If you screwed up, he tried to help you out, but he was no, uh, he's just a fucking pain, micromanaging pain in the ass, nonstop, just a real off the wall, crazy dude. Um, I remember him talking to somebody, I overheard a conversation, he said, yeah, they sent us to leadership training and I'm, I'm not doing the impression of him because people are gonna know who it is. Mm-hmm. Probably people know who it is anyway by mm-hmm. me saying that in my whole organization. And, he said, you yeah, know, I went there and I do everything wrong. That Sarcastically? They, he's no, like, he, was, he was laughing. Oh, he's like, I do everything they tell us not to do. Mm-hmm. And almost like acknowledge that he's also not going to change. Right. So he went to a leadership course where they told him how to behave. Mm-hmm. And he literally just shunned it and said, I'll still but, do things my way. But think about what they're doing. You're doing to him exactly what you're telling him not to do to everyone else. This is everything that you're doing wrong. Do this instead. Mm-hmm. You're still telling somebody what to do. You're not motivating them to do it. What's so, the motivation behind the change? For anyone? I mean, it, it could it could be different. It depends. Like mm-hmm. there are some leaders who want genuinely care, but they just they don't know what to do. Right. Like they don't have the skill set. They don't know what to I think do. he cared. OK. There are some who care about themselves and their image. I don't think that about. And him. I could play on that one, too. Right. Because your your team is a reflection of you. Yeah. So if your team is performing like shit, it's a reflection of you. Yeah. So if you want your team to do better just because you want to look better 
shit, I'll work with you too. I feel like there's three categories I'll of leadership, right? Like, I, like just right now we talked about it, selfless, yeah. selfish, and caring and not knowing how to communicate. Yeah, totally. So it's finding their their motivation, whether it's intrinsic or external, just like anything, just like doing uh, being on a diet, right? Um, anything that has to do with change, whether leaving a job, um, and it's looking at that motivation system and working with that motivation system to get them from being what we would call pre-contemplative, just like working with addiction. It's the same thing. Right. So getting them to go from pre-contemplative, meaning I don't even need to change at all, just to contemplative. Well, what are the benefits of changing? Ah, okay. What are the cons of changing? Mm, I'm going to weigh them out, you know, um, and then having them create an action plan from there. But there's a lot of like that preliminary work that you need to do. So again, like you send that leader to a training to tell them how to be a leader, like what, I'm sorry, to tell them like, this is what you need to do. You're fucking modeling the same behavior that you're telling them to change. Mm -hmm. I think that, but this is some of the organizational, uh, some of the organizational norms that we need to break a little bit. And with that comes change. With that is going to come pushback because we oh, are talking a lot about lady, how people I'm doing this feel. Eight, I'm doing this eight, nine years now. We are, so you got to tell me about what I, I'm always up for a challenge. So oh, I love it. I mean, like I like I told people what I wanted to do that I wanted to switch from psychotherapy to stress and burnout prevention coaching for law enforcement and go right for like leaders. And they were like, <laughs> good luck, bitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. like, you know what? Mm, I don't need your luck. I'm good. Thanks. I'm going to say two things. Talk I'm, to me in three years and listen, I and well, let's talk about this, ha having this conversation again. Five years ago, a guy came to me in a class and goes, ask you a personal question. I think I've said this before too as well. I said, sure. He goes, what does it feel like to know that you're changing the world? And he goes, and I, dude, I, I mean that like in a very big sense. And I said to him, I don't say that to people. I keep that very close to my heart because of the criticism you get, because it sounds so crazy to think that you could possibly affect such a big change that you change the world. But yeah. I understand that we are changing the world. And then interestingly enough, somebody wrote a question and I think last week when we were doing a live video said, when are you getting your, your Nobel Peace Prize? It was my bit. <laughs> and it's funny, as comical as it is, the work that we're doing is no different than something along that lines up with a Nobel Peace Prize. Not why I'm doing it, but I'll share this with you. I have done a lot of things and I've been dealt with a lot on this process of trying to implement change for the sake and benefit of the world and my people that I work with. And I have this vision of me being an old man and being the person who's honored at some event. I'm talking about like 40 years of no recognition. You don't mind, you ever see the video of the guy who saved all those kids from Auschwitz? Yes. Where he they all stand up and he's there and he doesn't yes. know that's there. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Just got chills talking about it. but. I don't do it for that, but I know that's where it's going to lead down, where at some point, I don't really appreciate, like, I admire and I adore the appreciation, like this, the handful of people, the boardwalk was dead yesterday, but my kid's there. First kid I see is like, are you? I'm like, I am. So he's a class two there, and I said, uh -huh. he said, can I get a picture with you? He said, of course. That I find phenomenal. Somebody else took a picture of me on a roller coaster, did you see that in the group? No, I didn't see Yeah, it. a few people hitting me up, you know, like, as we're going along, people are recognizing me. This really happens a lot at the boardwalk for me in New Jersey because families are going, cops bring their kids. They're just family people, right? So another guy I know, he's like, I'm listening to your stuff. Guy I went to middle school with who's a cop now. Um, I, I admire the fact that people have admiration for me. I think it's wonderful. 
I'm somewhere in the middle between not hearing any of it, the bad stuff or the good stuff, and just seeing what I'm trying to do and just charging my way towards that. Because that's a byproduct of what your vision looks like. Right. I mean, because that's, that's right. Right. No, totally. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. Again, like leadership development. That's the first thing that I do is create a vision. Right. Because you that's need real. to know. You, thank you, sir. I think I somewhat know what I'm doing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, Jack. Um, so but that's one of the things that I do is I create a vision because you have. And again, when we talk about motivation, when you just said like you're talking, you showed me what your vision looks like and it gave you chills to talk about. It's something that you're extremely emotionally connected to. So the next thing that you need to do is to have your vision, um, have your staff buy into your vision. And if you have your staff buy into your vision, leaders, mm -hmm. are you listening to me? If you have your staff buy into your vision, then they will work towards your common goal and you will have better output. Boom. I share secret, the secrets of my sauce. Yeah. But it is. you. And whenever you have a hard day, you keep looking at that vision, right? Like your vision, you mm -hmm. have to create that. Like, okay, this is worth this is worth the work, in other words. Right. And then having the byproduct be people coming up, wanting to take pictures with you, people admiring you. Uh, th that's all the byproduct that could mean something to you might not mean something to you because but your vision and your end goal is what you're working towards you're not working towards the sound right and that's burnout like let, let's bring that back to the topic today burnout right burnout is figuring out what your vision is why you came into this field the byproduct all those really great things that are not really great right now because they're not you don't have all those byproducts. You only have your end vision. And if you don't see that end vision, if that's been altered to for you through stress, through negativity, through trauma, through all of the costs of doing what you have to do, then your vision is going to become altered and you're not going to you're, you're not sure as to why you're still doing you're losing this. your way. You're, it is. It you're is. off the falling off the path. And that's burnout. That's exactly. And that's accumulated over time. And that doesn't have to be, you look, I got some people who are burnt out after 10 years. I got some people who are burnt out. I had one in my training that's been on for a year and a half. Burnt out. He's not hungry anymore. Mm. Right? And what do that, you do? What do you do with burnout? You, you got to figure it out. You got to figure it all out. It looks different for each person. Why you came in, what's stressing you out now, the things that you control versus the things that you can't control. If you're still evaluating, if you're still useful in your position, I mean, that's the best thing that you can do for yourself and everybody else around you and for the community too, right? Like, so. I think people need to be reminded that like, there are many options. Yeah. And while people should have a lot of pride because it's a very prideful position and, and yeah. job, don't listen. Just remember the last word that I said, what I called it, how I described it, what was the adjective or pronoun that I used. And it was, it's a job. Yeah. There's a lot of jobs out there. And if this is a job that has not, look, you got to go to your job 40 plus hours a week. If your job is killing you from the inside out, mm -hmm. it may be not a bad idea to try to start seeking at some, like here's one, I'm not even telling you to just jump ship and try to get into something else. How about starting to explore what you might like to do? Maybe you just start doing a little of this and a little of that and you go, oh, wait a second. Mm -hmm. This is starting to get some legs here. Well, wait a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, uh, there's a kid that I ran into. It's a good one. Just weird things in life that you, that you think back that had more value as you think about them later on and a lot more impact in what was actually being said. So I run into this kid. I, I rented a house. 
down the shore and this kid comes by and he recognized me outside the house. He took my training course and he comes out and he goes, oh my God, dude, I took your class, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, cool. Uh, great. He, so he starts telling me about his life. He goes, well, I'm now into another business and I don't want to describe it. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, I said, how long are you on the job here? He goes, I'm making this. I'm going to make 30 grand on the weekend. It's nuts. And I said, well, how long are you a cop? And he goes, I'm five years. And he goes, but I'm thinking about leaving. And he goes, and people think I'm crazy for that. I go, but why? Mm -hmm. And he said, because that's how people think. So I said, don't let people's vision of your life alter or deter your vision for yourself. Absolutely. I had another guy, who was a, he was a sheriff's officer down here. He was running a landscaping gardening company. I'll say that because I know he left. He called me. He goes, can I get, get you on the phone? He goes, what do you think I should do? And we went through a series of questions. I go, I think you should leave police work and go do this. If your end goal is X, Y, and Z and not D, E, and F, I hate to use that example, but mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're on the path for D, E, and F, homeboy. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to get to X, Y, and Z, take the other path. Well, people think I'm crazy. I go, who cares? Yeah, but you want to know where that comes from? Here's the no bullshit part of me. You fucking stupid mother. The, no. Not your mom. He, I might like, you know. Well, she is. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Oh, I shit. love you, mommy. Don't beat me with a wooden spoon. I can't say the same. Um, so, <laughs> you know where that comes from, though? Truthfully, is working in an environment with highly cynical, disgruntled, burnt out people who are fucking jealous mm -hmm. that you have an identity outside oh, and, oh, and yeah. they don't. Uh, sorry, guys. Don't fucking beat me. But truthfully, that's where a lot of it comes from is like, you know, when people are mis misery loves company. Ooh. Right. So like some of those people who are miserable could be your family. Absolutely. Absolutely. They'll be your fucking coworkers. They'll get it confused. Absolutely. That There's that toxicity that you need to identify and fucking steer clear from. I've had family members who've never even asked me how business is. Right. Like, uh, you know what I same. do. You come to this these parties you like not once can you ask me mm -hmm. how's things mm -hmm. looks like it's going well because people only see the end result they don't see all the work that even that, that i just can, happens I can in between. feel it at times yeah but of people building up animosity towards the success of this business and myself yeah where like you can't even i get that you weren't in business but you can't even say to me like hey how's things going mm -hmm. looks yeah. like it's doing well I got people who are fucking strangers who know more about my business than my own family members yeah. who have no fucking clue. I mean, I've had family members who are like, I don't even know what you do. I'm like, oh, you just come to the elaborate ass parties and eat the delicious <laughs> just, ass fucking food yeah, with these right. private chefs. Right. You know what I mean? So like, well, ask me, mm -hmm. you know, wh why wouldn't you want to know? Because misery loves company. If I came to your house and you lived in a $10 million mansion, the only thing I'm going to try to do is get as close as I can to you to find out what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. And tell me about it. Yeah. I'm not mad. Yeah. I want to live here too. Yeah. So tell me about it. Like what, how's business? What are you guys doing? Like, let's collab. Tell me all about it. Me too. Misery. But I think that people like to compare and not relate, you know? So it's like what I have, what they don't have, you know, and I don't understand that are going well. I'm so, I'm so opposite that. I don't even understand it. I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like applauding everybody. I'm mm -hmm. like, I came into this at like, Hey, can we all work together? And some people were like, you're, uh, uh, no, you are competition. And I'm like, what? Like, there's yeah. a need. Like, I just like, let's do this and help help people and be heard and Kenny's like my like right? Kenny, like, Kenny Kenny Williams who's our instructor teaches the introduction mastermind uh his class numbers are profound ninja uh, yeah right so I'm going to Jacksonville next week I've decided to go and I've laid down my ego 
to go there for a number I generally don't go there mm-hmm. for. And I'll mm-hmm. lay it out there. It's, and it sounds kind of cocky to say this, but he was there five weeks ago, six weeks ago at 122 in attendance. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm going there, I'm gonna have less than 50. Mm-hmm. It, some var- I'm not trying to make excuses, but there are some variables with the summer and some weird shit like that. But, you know, I love it for him. I'm so glad that he smashed my face in on it. Not because I'm only incentivized because I run the company. There's some kickback as far as the the financials go, but like, good for him. Yeah. Because the motherfucker sits and works on editing his own. People don't know this. Kenny edits his own videos. Our staff isn't dedicated to editing Kenny's videos. He learned Adobe Premiere and edits his own shit and is kind of an entrepreneur inside the company. And I couldn't be happier for him because he deserves it. Right, I, there's literally zero animosity towards it. I'm so fucking thrilled that he's punching my face in at times. It's so yeah. fun. He like, works hard. He but works, people don't see that. And he deserves it. Work. Right. He you deserves know? it, and he's the greatest guy I've ever known. Like he's the fucking nicest human being. Yeah. There is. He comes from a, and that's a lot of us here as instructors. We're all in the same kind of boat. We all kind of gravitated towards each other because, although cops are good, these guys are great. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, we've gone through burnout. Maybe stress should be for the next one. Yeah, for sure. Burnout, but it's important that we spent this much time on burnout. No, and leadership. I think we talked a lot about leadership, too. So, and I mean, I think like you were just saying before, like at the end of the day, when these people are calling you, it's like, it's just a job, but it's not just a job for some people. Some people, again, like, and that's that lifestyle balance, like not to say that you should look at it as just a job, but you have to have identity outside of it. And for some of those people, it's not just a job. It's and and there's a conflict when you're so passionate about what you're doing, but you're completely suffocating your own needs, and it, there it becomes a conflict between doing what I'm passionate about doing and not having my needs met. Which one's more important? And we're we are naturally taught in the first responder um, culture that your needs. Uh, truthfully don't matter don't matter yeah right so but but then the consequences of that are some of the suicide side effects yeah police suicide divorce divorce rates uh, you know like alcoholism phys- alcoholism you're physically Tendency, letting yeah. your bodies go hyper you know people how many people are on the job they have hypertension they have the cortisol bellies from having being stressed for so long um you know so i have a belly from eating cookies yeah man a little bit god bless not bad but I'm a sucker for cookies. God bless. We brought a cannoli thing, a cannoli dipper thing in here the other day. Son of a bitch. I'm I'd not made a... really big on cannoli dip anymore. I don't know. You've my palate it? changed. Really? Yeah. I'll go for some chocolate though. Your fucking grandfather's flipping over in his oh, grave right now. Oh my gosh. Shh. Yeah. Um, anyway. I want to go yeah. to two things before we wrap up. Okay. The, the first one is this is, would you agree, and you can disagree with me if you want. Okay selflessness is a great trait to have. Especially we talk about leadership is putting others before yourself and understanding mm-hmm. that. But also considering yourself as well, but mm-hmm. understanding that's the role of a leader is mm-hmm. selflessness. Maybe just in life in general. You know, it's yeah. interesting. My wife, who's been getting very stoic lately, sent me this quote. And last night she showed it to me. It was written on a, this is really interesting stuff. It was written on a, like a yellow, like sticky pad, like a 3M sticky pad. And I said to her, and I'm going to, tell you the conversation after it so my my kid we were going to the shore they're like we want to go we want to go and i'm like she's like what do you think about it i'm like i can't process it i can't understand it because i got six kids screaming in my goddamn ear so i said to her when i came to work they said can you send me that quote again i want to see it again that's what i wrote to her so before i read the quote she goes do you get it or not lmao i go it's excellent yes 
It's literally how I live my life is my response. I'm glad I asked you about it again. I missed it yesterday. Can't process with noise. And her response back after, I'll tell you the quote after this. So they said it in a show I watched, so I wrote it down. Okay. She liked it that much. And that's what it says. That was really cool. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Mm -hmm. Citing Winston Churchill. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a quote of selflessness. Mm -hmm. The... It really reflects my life a lot. It's so interesting how it came into my life from my wife, who's been not into any of this stuff. This is the, pretty much the first thing she brings to me, and it's me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that because I'm tooting my own horn. It's who I am. Right. And that's kind of looking at the career satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's your financial external motivator, but then our internal intrinsic motivator one of them is being satisfied and fulfilled with what you do and why. Definitely. But I think that also like what you were talking about, the selflessness with leaders, I think it needs to be a little bit of a hybrid of the two. Okay. I think because it will exhaust you. I caught myself, right? I didn't see So I caught myself because it clicked to me that I can't all be selflessness. Right. And we're like saying one thing and then we're like, yeah, be selfless. So well, no, 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 no. Like, again. yeah, yeah. Well, no, but I caught myself because I haven't explored the conversation. Mm-hmm. To this lady, there has mm-hmm. to be, listen, there's a, a Gary Vaynerchuk saying says, uh, I am selfish to be selfless. Mm-hmm. Yes. So fix yourself first so you could fix everybody else later. Yeah. There's a lot of things. My wife, we, we've had a lot of things that life throws at you. And I've been able to appropriately deploy, I'm going to just use financial means to resolve other people's issues. And I yeah. said to my wife, imagine if I didn't go down this path. And the work that I do, I wouldn't have had the means to be able to provide, I'll give you an example, my brother, who I'm a a guardian for, with what he needs to thrive in his very limited life. Mm -hmm. When something came up and his his life uh, quality was a variable, I was able to choose the better variable because of the work that I put in here. Mm -hmm. So that that all kind of ties into it. And the last thing I want to have to ask you is this. What? Um... It's selflessness. Mm-hmm. I believe that if we begin, people say, well, where do you begin to fix law enforcement? I don't know how to break it down, and I could change this later on in life, but I think that it certainly starts at leadership, and it could even start at political leadership. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I believe that administrative leadership is probably the best place to start when we start talking about changing and fixing the whole thing. So the responsibility of a police leader is not to collect a paycheck every two weeks. If you can't handle it, let somebody handle it who can. Sometimes leaders can look in their ranks and say, I don't have the skills to get us there, but I have people in the ranks who can get us there. Mm -hmm. So as a good leader needs to understand is you can't do everything, you can't be good at it all. And in order for your, your company or your organization to grow and progress you're going to have to hand over the reins on some of your horses Mm -hmm. and let other people drive these goddamn things absolutely so if you if you are a leader i believe that it rests in your hands the future implement and change and by the way even if you're not a leader at the moment i always tell people this what they say in class jen Mm -hmm. oh i wish you would tell my chief should tell my captain should tell my major i wish my sergeant was here he's an asshole she's an idiot And I always say this, I am talking to the leaders of law enforcement. Although you don't have bars in your collars yet or flowers on your hat, you will get them. 
and I'm now planting the seeds. And we're actually Absolutely. seeing it here in Jersey. You know, nine years ago when I started running my mouth in Jersey about how I felt and what I thought needed to be changed, oh, now it's, mm-hmm. hey, can you help us understand how to change? Mm-hmm. Because now the people who are my mm, followers or the people who are liking the thing I'm saying and getting it and it makes sense to them because I think what I'm saying is is correct, they are now becoming, I mean, I have, I can't tell any of my friends right now are on the verge of making chief. Mm-hmm. I'm 40. Everybody's becoming the chiefs and deputy chiefs and captains yeah. now. It's like weird for me to see that too. I'm like, yeah. that's so weird. So, I don't. so leadership is an appropriate, and if you're not a current leader right now, think about this when you become a leader. You do not have to walk the same beaten path. I've seen leadership councils literally tell people, you're going to be a sergeant and this is how you're going to act. Right. If you've achieved that and they really have a hard time taking that away from you, you can probably try to begin to mold and malleate. Is malleate a word? Sounds like it is. Um, <laughs> Let me pull up Google. Yeah, or it's got to be because malleable is a word. Mm-hmm. Uh, be malleable mm-hmm. and and begin to change the organization or the dynamics of an organization for the positive. Absolutely. I think that the first step, and again, like going into like some of, we're giving you sneak peeks, like some of the leadership development portion of what I do. So like identifying that vision, having people buy into that vision, having a joint vision, but then also when you're talking about productivity, output, um, and energy uh, consumption to do that, I think that you need to take a look at your team where there are strengths, where there are weaknesses, assign tasks. Appropriately. To, uh, yes, assign tasks um, to to uh, harness, hold on to some of those strengths, assign goals to um, build upon those weaknesses. It's not just like we're going to say, you're great at this, so you you have to do it. Develop this because you suck. Like you might have somebody who's really great at something and they're like, but I really fuck i hate doing this mm-hmm. okay well let's let's like let's work on what you where you want to be and what that looks like right so directing based upon certain inconsistencies that you're seeing um dictating based upon some of the weaknesses of the team and what some of your strengths are but then handing off based upon some of those strengths and letting go mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to become exhausted. Exhausted and a lunatic. Yeah, and burnt out. Yeah, burnt out's clear. Hello. Yeah. Right? It's 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 crazy. And these are the business, these are business principles. Yeah. Right. You'll have yeah. uh you'll see Q and A's on some of the things that yeah. I watch. People are like, well, and they'll offer like, hey, you are a control freak. Mm-hmm. So if you want it, let's let's take and this is the last thing we'll we'll, mm-hmm. we'll finish with this. I understand that as an organization, I can't be everything. So I employ those people who can be those things. Mm -hmm. There are things at this company that I have no fucking clue how they work. Right. There's software that I spent $100,000 on that's being developed at this moment that I haven't been part of any of the conversation. I have no clue. I've entrusted the people that I've trained and spent a lot of time training them appropriately, not based on the things that I come up with personally, but I'm constantly educating to make myself a better leader for the sake of my people. Mm -hmm. There are so many opportunities to spend on YouTube and watching leadership stuff, Simon Sinek, and all these things you can take in to try to grow and progress. And what happens is when you're a good leader, they become good leaders. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that over and over again. And people are coming here almost war-torn 
from being stuck in corporate America where mm -hmm. some of the worst behavior in leadership and organizations exists and me having to literally unravel their brain, reprogram it appropriately so they can thrive in this organization because you will stick out like a sore thumb here if you're a dick. Yeah. And, and, and some people we can work with and some people just can't shake the dick. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can after I pay, but I have to, you know, I want peeps in the pants. Yeah, you know. Well, anyway, yes. wait, two big words that I swear then we're wrapping yeah. up. Two big words you said: trust and development, and that's a huge piece of leadership. And trust, I could spend an hour talking about. So we're gonna wrap it up there. But it's not. It's not being robotic and it's tapping into being innovative. And even if the organization that you work with doesn't want you to be innovative, pushing what you feel and some of the ideas that you have. Like I said, I say to everybody all the time, like you can come with a complaint, but if you're going to come with a complaint, come with two possible solutions mm -hmm. or else fuck you. Don't come with your complaint. We start off the, the conversations here of, Hey, let's talk. What do yeah. you guys like? What do you don't like? Like, I'm open to the conversation of we want more of this, we want more of that. Right. And I try to remind everybody, like, there's nobody easier to work for than me because I have never had an adverse reaction to a mistake. And if I agree with you, I'll say that's a great idea. But if I disagree, I'll also provide supporting facts on why. Yeah. Uh, why I think it's kind of unimportant yeah, I don't not, not yeah. unimportant I don't want to degrade your your ability to come and bring stuff forward but right. here's why that's not going to work right or if there's another possible solution if it's still a problem that right. needs to be fixed okay let's explore different solutions right yeah and by the way as you grow and progress life is full of problems I mean that's like coming back to the Jahari window yeah right like keeping that open pain and learning to develop coming back to development I told my cousin once he said something about he was complaining about something he said Danny, life never gets easier. You're just a better captain on the boat mm -hmm. and navigating through this this fucking thing. Mm -hmm. So everybody's got to understand that. And, and I say this in class sometimes, if you think life is difficult, well, police work's about 10 times more difficult than life. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to figure it out. If you're sticking around, you're going to be on the boat, you got to be, become a better captain. Yeah. And we're not leaving you out there with no resources to figure that out. You can begin to explore. And the, and the best thing that I have for everybody is you have the internet. There's bigger thinkers out there. But I'm going to forewarn some folks that as you become a bigger thinker and more independent, you might find yourself a little more lonely and not fitting in with the crowd. And that's okay. Yeah. You watch where you're influenced. Yeah. By the way, we try to set examples here at, at this organization for how to behave because mm -hmm. nobody ever set examples for us when we started. Mm -hmm. And we realize that maybe in your organization, there aren't the people that you should be looking up to or at. Right. You might have to go outside of your organization to learn about how to behave properly. Joint values. Some of the worst things we vision. saw were were police agencies that were hiring and promoting within. And sometimes it's a blessing to bring somebody from another perspective in. Yeah. Sometimes it's a curse too. Don't get it fucked up. Right. So without further ado, I have mm -hmm. nothing else for this for the session, Jen. Well, shit, I always have something. Yeah, let's but end it, what's right? he lunch? Where are we at? We're fucking, you know, we're at almost an hour and a half of talking. All right, I need a pee-pee break. So we need to do stress next time. We'll, yeah. we'll do this next let's week. Let's keep going. All right, so guys, thank you again. Check Hit out, us up. Yeah, let us know what you want to hear about. Check out, yeah, you can email Jenna Rose at streetcop.com. Mm -hmm. And give her a topic that you want to talk about. Yeah. We'll probably serve it up in the group as well. And if you want more tips, uh, they're on my... Um, you should yeah. do like a worksheet. Do you have yeah. shit like that? 
I always have everything. Okay. But I have, um, if anybody wants more tips and education, subscribe to my email list too. And it's all over my website, my social media, my link tree. Um, sign up. How do they find tips. that? Um, so Jenna Rose underscore coaching on Instagram, Jenna Rose coaching on Facebook. And my website is www.coachingwithjennarose.com. Okay. All right. Guys, streetcop.com, the conference coming up in October. I just asked Jenna today if she'll come to the conference. We're going to do something. We're going to work her into that somehow. Holla. Yeah. Uh, so she'll be there. She'll probably be just drinking martinis at the at the, <laughs> at the bars floating around at like the B bar at Borgata or something. <laughs> we will, uh, you know, listen, Facebook, Instagram, we're everywhere. You can't miss out on us. Yeah. We're trying to do the right thing. You are. We're giving our best that we have to offer. And we're trying to grow and develop inside to continue to give you the best that we possibly can. We know the world of law enforcement, the world in general depends on street cop training yeah. and other organizations to come forward and give the best that we have. So that's what we're trying to do. So please mm -hmm. understand that if you're taking offense to the kind of work that we're doing, you're not seeing it correctly. We're trying to have these conversations and these this candor to develop and progress as a society and as a profession. So without further ado, appreciate everybody so much. Thank Take you so care. much.